You are now listening to the Major Jobs Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Major Jobs Podcast. Today I'm talking with a journalist who works in a kind uh, it's like a medium market and he is an on-air personality who reports on the news and he started off as a photojournalist and that's where I'm mostly uh, trying to dig deep into because we had a request from Gabriel who wanted to learn more about what it's like being a photojournalist. So uh, he started his career as a photojournalist and then he worked his way up to becoming an on-air personality and doing um, you know, bits on the news uh, live on television. And I wanted to learn more about what it's like working as an anchor during the coronavirus pandemic and how that has changed a bit of his routine and you know what uh, the news station is reporting on. So I thought it was really interesting how that shift is now because you know we need them more than ever now that you know this big pandemic is happening right now. Um, so thank you to Gabriel for the request of about wanting a photojournalist. I did my best to get one and I got one. So thanks to Gabriel. If you have a request that you want to have on the show please um, email me at tealand.majorjobs.org and i'll try to get to it so without further ado here is the episode thank you so much for listening my first question to you is what is your job title uh my job title is photojournalist slash multimedia journalist all right and what is your job description so what do you do uh so Basically, um, you know, if you think of a print journalist, they are responsible for writing up stories for a newspaper. I cover the broadcast side of things. So um, I work at a TV station in Fargo, and we, on a day-to-day, we're going out and covering all the stories for our local news market and, you know, providing the video and really telling a story through the visual aspects uh, rather than focusing on the writing. Uh, recently, though, my job description has changed a little bit. I, I picked up the multimedia journalist portion um, probably six months ago, I want to say, and started doing on-camera work. But that's not really what photojournalists do. They just uh, they tell a story by going out and you know getting video that's really going to catch your eye as well as sounds and and putting it all together into one coherent video. Mm-hmm. So, do you think you do more photo video, or is it just like an equal amount of both? Uh, right now, it's more uh, <laughs> it's more multimedia stuff. So it's I'm on camera a lot more, and uh-huh. I'm writing a lot more. Which is as a photojournalist, you don't necessarily usually have to write; you just pass that off to the reporter. Uh-huh. Um, but because of how my role has shifted, with especially with the coronavirus, I have found myself – I write every day now Well, every uh-huh. that I'm working. And I'm on camera three times a week at least. So. Mm. so would you say that your company or like, you know, what you, what you make video for, is it on broadcasted? Like are you broadcasted on air or is it mostly online? Uh, we are broadcasted on television and online. So uh, – we have to do both. Um, and anytime somebody starts a TV station, the FCC requires you to, to always have something on air at all times. So uh, uh-huh. 24 hours a day, we have to be broadcasting something. We have, I think, four new- newscasts, one hour each, and uh, I produce content that goes for both our morning shows and our evening shows. Awesome. 
Alright, so how long have you been working as a journalist, just like at your job? How long have you been working? I've been with the company for, gosh, over two and a half years now. Um, as a photojournalist, I started that um, about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the reporting part started about six months ago. Awesome. So from what I know about Fargo, I, I just I only watched the movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But would it be a small market there? Would you consider it a small market there? Like, So uh, traditionally it would be considered or sorry, I, I won't say, you know, it, it, it's a town with like 200,000 people in it. So it's, it's a metro area by TV standard TV ratings, which it, TV standards, I'd say it's considered a medium sized market. Um, so the, the TV standards rate it from number one, which is, I, I think New York city all the way down to like 214, um, different markets so anything below um i think 150 is considered a small market and then 150 up is considered 150 to like 75 is considered medium-sized market and then above that is considered your uh, large and major markets so fargo falls in at, i believe 114 and because the they're see like a massive population boost it just keeps going up and up every year uh -huh. um it still has that small town news feel kind of like it, I, I go into some days thinking like in any other market I wouldn't cover the story that I'm covering today um, but there's also plenty of interesting stories here it's it, it's the yeah. Midwest and there's a lot of different aspects of, of rural life that we have to cover that uh -huh. would never get covered in any other city uh -huh. so talking to farmers and talking about agriculture and covering these stories from the rural parts of the state that don't get a lot of news coverage in the national outlets or even in the, the larger metro outlets. Um, has, it's, an, it's certainly an interesting challenge and a unique way of telling stories. Would you say like there's a lot of competition in that market or would you say like you guys are the only news channel there? Uh, we have uh, technically four news channels here. Um, uh, obviously, we have the public broadcasting channel, and then we have a Fox affiliate, which is what I work for. Um, then there's the CBS affiliate, uh, NBC, and ABC affiliates. So I think CBS and NBC are combined together. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's in total four news stations. Wow. So did you, like, know that you wanted to work in this media industry from an early age? Um, I want to say Yes. But I also want to say no. So I've always wanted to be a storyteller. I mean, ever, the first time I picked up a, a camera was age six. It was my mom's VHS. And mm -hmm. I wrote a script for a movie at like age six and a, six and a half, seven. It was uh, terrible, but <laughs> it, was, it was a script nonetheless. And uh, getting into news was a complete shock because I'm from Florida and um, I had no – ambitions of going into the tv news business mm -hmm. um it just kind of my wife and i ended up moving here to fargo and it was a position that was open um and i thought you know i had some experience in with using cameras and i have made some documentaries before maybe i'll apply and give this a shot and see if this is something i'm good at and um i, I do really enjoy it so it, not something mm -hmm. i intended to go into but mm -hmm. definitely it captured my interest and 
has made me a better storyteller, which is what I've always mm-hmm. wanted uh, wanted to be. Yeah, and I would imagine that from like you know what you first started doing photojournalism and working with cameras to now working on air, it would be a significant difference. So what what would you say like how is that leap like? A lot of the photojournalists I know never would get in front of a camera and i think one day um we had a breaking news story and we had just our morning reporter had moved to wisconsin and they asked me if i could cover this breaking news story and go on camera and talk about it and it was something i had never done before but i was you know i was like you know why not What's stopping me? Why don't I make this jump and and just give it a try? And it's certainly intimidating at first, especially when you're doing live content um, and breaking news. There is no script. It's you go and you use your normal journalistic and um, uh, gosh, losing the word here, but the the, the train of thought is or, or instincts. That's what I was looking for. You use your normal journalistic instincts and you find what the story is. You talk to you know police officers and and uh, fire chiefs and whoever will give you all the information, and then you just have to compress that into ninety seconds mm-hmm. of live content. And so at the the first time I ever did that, it was just intimidating and it wasn't very good. But over time, I found that um, just leaning on that instinct and leaning and you know if you had that background in journalism already being a photojournalist and knowing what makes the good sound bite what makes the good story it's easy to translate it once you get to the on-camera yeah. stuff um but you have to have that foundation i think first and a lot of times you learn that in college or you learn it on the job but it's definitely intimidating but not too difficult i don't think so I, I want to shift the topic now towards like your scheduling. I would imagine yeah. that it's really different than a standard like nine to five job. You might have to like wake up early to cover a story or, you know, I, I would imagine that every day would be extremely different. So what would, but like on a general way, like in a general day, I guess, what would you say like your schedule is like? So, oh, oh, oh phrase it like this it is similar to a traditional nine to five in most news stations you are going to be coming in at 9 a.m and they're going to try to have you at the door by five it's not going to happen though um you know that's what they tell you they want you at the door by five you are going to be able to be taking breaks in the middle of the day that are sometimes two or three hours long as you wait for your next story to line up or if you have a live shot at 7 p.m you'll have to take a break at like 3 p.m. for an hour or two and then come back and get ready for your live shot. So it's a little all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it it is still kind of 9 to 5. Some days you will come in at 9 and you'll leave by 5 or 6 because it'll be an easy day. You're just writing up a couple of pieces for the anchors to read. You don't have to go on camera. You don't have to film anything extra. There's no breaking news. You come in, you start your shift, and then you end it right on time. Those days are sometimes pretty regular um, and sometimes pretty rare. It just depends on the month. Like uh, in Fargo, for example, if it's winter and we're in the middle of it and it's one of those blizzard months or a couple of months in our case where we're 
have major weather patterns that are coming through. That's one of those times where you might not get to leave right exactly at 5 or come in exactly at 9. Overall, though, it's, yeah, it is a little erratic. I'd say my schedule with all the COVID things that happened and um, just the, the, the timing of the coronavirus on hiring new people, uh, I am working Monday and Tuesdays. I work from 9 to technically 5, but sometimes it'll go a little longer, 6 or 7. Mm-hmm. And then Wednesdays through Fridays, I'm working uh, the morning shift, which is 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mm, wow. So yeah, it's a little bit of bouncing in between. Yeah, wow. I was, I, I wanted to talk more about you know the beginning of the career when you were a photojournalist. So, what are some big changes between being a photojournalist and being an on-air personality? So, um, I, being a photojournalist, I feel like I was. Uh, less rushed a lot of the times as a photojournalist your responsibility is especially in the smaller markets it's solely to shoot the footage you'll work with your on-air personality to get the footage they need to tell their story to get the interviews they need to tell their story and edit that for them and then go on your way um so it, it was a less stressful day in for me most of the time as an on-air personality, when, when you're in these smaller markets, a lot of the time you're doing what's called MMJ work or multimedia journalism, which means you're shooting a lot of stuff yourself. You're also editing everything yourself, writing everything yourself, voicing everything yourself, and then still expected to present it in some cases live, in some cases you'll do pre-recorded stuff. Um, I think being a photojournalist was I, – I got to focus a lot more on what makes the story look good to the viewer and what's really going to bring out certain elements of my um, reporter's writing. Whereas being the on-air personality or the MMJ at this point, it's how can I get this done without, you know, to end meet deadline? Because <laughs> you're shooting everything yourself. You're editing everything. You're writing. How can I get all of that done and still meet the deadline for the show? Um, so, yeah... I definitely liked the the pacing of photojournalism more than I do being an MMJ. Um, I like the interactions I got to have with my reporter coworkers when I was an MMJ because now I interact with them a lot less. They work with a different photojournalist, um, and you know I'll, I'll work with the photojournalist, but I don't get to work with the reporters. Yeah, there's like bonds that you build with these reporters, yeah. uh, and like all of the reporters that have moved on. Um, to different stations in bigger markets, you know, I am still friends with them. I still talk to them mm-hmm. as much as I can, almost, you know, weekly, mm-hmm. if we can. And uh, it's just a certain relationship you built that I don't think um, mm-hmm. there's very few things that compare to it. Yeah. So now that you are the reporter, you are the ones that are like, you know, are you looking forward to moving on to bigger markets now that, you know, you're moving up in the food chain? Uh, you know, there was a certain part of me that wanted to at one point, but, um, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that I really like, um, living in Fargo mm-hmm. and being with my wife and her family and yeah. I, you know, my family too, but they're in, they're in Florida. Uh, but, you know, Fargo has a lot of great things to offer for yeah. somebody who's trying to start a family. And so, 
my aspirations aren't set on that as much as um, just pursuing a, a, a better ability to tell stories. Yeah. And um, whether that's through improving how I how I edit or shoot things or write, um, that's mainly what I'm focused on and not mm-hmm. so much the moving up to bigger markets. I know for a lot of reporters it is, you know, the, the dream job is in – New York City or at a cable channel like CNN or Fox because that's mm-hmm. where the money is but mm-hmm. I can also tell you that a lot of reporters after after they move on to these um, market sizes like 25 to 50 stay there for 10, 15, 20, 25 years um, because they fall in love with whatever town they're telling stories for yeah, yeah. and a lot of these smaller markets they'll only stay for a year and it's hard to really develop that kind of relationship with the town. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough that I had worked in marketing before this um, in Fargo for uh, over a year before I got this photojournalist job. So I fell in love with the city and I fell in love with the town. Um, not so much the weather. Cause <laughs> it gets it, mm-hmm. really cold here, but uh, I don't have those aspirations of going anywhere bigger right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I wanted to talk about maybe like what would you say are some fun stories or experiences that you can share? Because I imagine that working in the media, you get access to some things that are uh, not available to the average citizen. So what, what, yeah. are some, like, what are some good experiences that you've done? Uh, definitely. I have a, I have a few. I hope I don't take up too much of your time yeah, no with problem. these. Um, I think my, my top experience is definitely the veterans honor flight. Um, almost every state and major city has what's called a veterans honor flight. And it's this group of, it's a nonprofit group that'll take volunteer, you know, world war two and Korean and Vietnam veterans to Washington DC. And they usually invite them the media along so that they can tell better stories and plus we help with fundraising and things like that. Um, but it is just this awesome experience of getting to interact with hundreds of veterans who have served in countless different wars, whether, and you know, a lot of the time it's not, it's the veterans families that come along who are second generation military, third generation military who, um, one story I got to tell, this um, this man had served in the Navy in World War II, and I think in the Pacific. And you know, his grandson went on to serve in the Iraq War, uh, and I think in Afghanistan. And when they came back, uh, or, or when when we got to Washington D.C., you know, they unloaded on us all their, their stories together, and we got to tell this dual-sided story of one generation who fought in the great, you know, one of the greatest. Uh, I don't want to use greatest wars, but I think it was referred as, um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, uh, you know, one of the bloodiest wars we've ever seen, and then one of the longest wars we've ever fought in as well. You had those mm-hmm. two perspectives and these two, two people from the same family who had totally different experiences doing the same thing, and just the overall experience is phenomenal. You know, they they treat these veterans with this awesome awesome respect the whole way they get police escorts throughout entire washington dc and Mm -hmm. you know skip all the traffic you get um 
great access to things like the National Archives and the Smithsonian and uh, the World War II Memorial and Veterans Memorial. And it's just such an mm-hmm. um, outstanding experience that I want to go on it every year so that I can continue to tell these stories. But I also have told my boss that um, I want other people to go on it too because yeah. it is one of those experiences that I just – I. Uh, can't recommend more mm-hmm. to anybody mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um some of the other cool stories like you know i got to fly in a helicopter uh <laughs> uh one of the the medevac helicopters for our local hospital here and tell the story of you know the the nurses and paramedics that work on board those helicopters to save lives mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool to, to shoot that footage and and tell that story um and then i think the the other coolest one i've done was this little farm in uh, this small rural town in North Dakota, and it was just this guy was a walking history book of rural America and rural North Dakota. Yeah, you know, he had owned this farm. Um, his family has owned this farm since I think like 1860 or 1870 or something like that. And uh, just him going through, his family had documented the history of that farm and that town so well that mm-hmm. it was a a living museum of of what rural america had looked like from you know the early 1800s to now wow uh, it was a really cool story wow and um i was wondering this is um this is pertaining to like the beginning of your career so what would you say is like your advice for people that want to get into photography or videography and editing like maybe what um resources did you use and what programs you use yeah that's a that's a great question i think photography videography and um editing right now have never been easier you know um i i can tell you uh stories from the the photojournalists i worked beforehand who had to physically cut up tape and you don't have to do that anymore everything is done digitally and the products to do these are either free or cheap and you can shoot things on your phone. I, I can tell you that in probably if I do five stories a week, one of those in one one out of five stories, I'm using my phone to shoot some footage. Mm-hmm. Um, not not you know the phone is never going to replace the camera. The, the the lens options you have with cameras and, and DSLRs and mirrorless and stuff like that are always going to be so much better than a phone mm-hmm. can get you. But the phones, they, they work in terms of if you need to get a shot in the moment that maybe your photographer can't get or an alternate angle because you don't have more than one camera there, it, it provides that. And um, to get started, I, I think start taking photos with your phone and seeing, you know, or videos with your phone and you know, get it on a um, – there, there's plenty of um, products that you can buy to set your phone up in a fashion that you can have it stable or on a tripod and just record things that you find interesting or, or that you find visually appealing i part of um of getting this job in the first place you have to build a reel of your your content so i went around fargo and i shot things on my phone and it, it wasn't just my phone but uh, my phone and a camera that i had borrowed from a friend and shot the most visually appealing things that I could find and submitted that as my reel. Mm-hmm. That, that's one way of getting started. It, either 
borrow it or use your phone. Um, if your phone has a 1080p camera on it, you can get some pretty good footage as long as you're close up, close up to the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I should cover on that in, in terms of getting started with like editing. For me, I you know my my photography and videography thing started in high school. Um, just mm-hmm. borrow cameras from the photography department. Um, and the television production department. Um, I know I know not everybody has those resources at their school, so it's not mm-hmm. something that I can say. But if your school does have those resources, I wouldn't hesitate to ask somebody to, to either enroll you in that class or ask the teacher if maybe you can stay after school some days and just learn from them. Uh, the best advice I can give about getting started in television, media, or any industry in general Never be afraid to ask people for help or to reach out to somebody who's more knowledgeable than you and mm-hmm. have them kind of guide you. Almost um, – I'd say every journalist in this industry, if you can find them on LinkedIn or you know, even send them a, a DM to your Twitter about you know, just some of the questions you have about the industry, they will nine times out of ten answer you and give you really heartfelt advice about how to – how to get started and how to advance your career. Mm-hmm. Even the big journalists that are working at CNN and Fox, is, you know, they'll, they'll they'll give you the same advice and they will answer you. It might not be right away, but they will answer you eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. And I was wondering about maybe like your advice for people to just pursue like the media industry in general, whether it be writing or being an on-air personality. I would assume that a lot of the outlets to like get inside of this industry, like they're very similar. Yeah. Um, so I had an interesting, interesting start in this industry. I did not start out as a photojournalist at the station. At the station, I started out as a production assistant, um, which is why I had almost a year and a half of experience or a year of experience before I even started the photojournalist job. Um, production assistant is the kind of lowest guy on the totem pole. You are in the control room and there to help the show go on. You get paid minimum wage in most places or most lower markets. And it's really like a learning platform for a lot of people or even just, a, a in some cases it can be an internship. I think it's, you know, the pay isn't great. In for, for a production assistant, but it is really a fun environment to work in and a fun learning experience to give you all of the foundational knowledge you need to actually pursue TV and the media as an industry and as a career. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you ask any, any journalist or any on-air personality, have they ever done production assistant work – Probably seven out of ten of them will say, "Yeah, I was a PA for for something during my college years, or you know, as an intern, I did PA work." Um, well, you know, while I was in college, it's it's a great way to get a feel for the industry and get the foundations for what needs to be done. Did I answer the question in full? Was there a second part to that? No, that that was great. In terms of maybe like writing, would you say that there would be a different way to get in? I know that that's not what you mainly like started your career in but what would you say like your advice is for people that want to start writing Ooh, um for journalistic uh, you know if you're 
if you want to start writing for TV or for for news and journalism, you know, I can't really answer the print side, but broadcast journalism, the writing is a completely different style. Um, and I, I I find that. Uh, let me think of of my answer to this question because I want it to be uh, correct. The way I started writing was I asked my news director, you know, I found this group in the community. Can I go and tell a story about them? He let me take a camera out to film it, and I started by just getting all the interviews transcribed and then – putting together the story as I thought it should go. Um, and then I presented it to not my boss, but other journalists that I had respect for and other writers that I, I trusted would give me good critique, not, not hurtful critique, but critique to make my piece better. And they had changed everything. You know, they, and it was, it, I, I kind of got into that slowly because as a photojournalist, um, you don't get a lot of opportunities to write. So for me, it was just, I tell a story, I put it together, I do the editing, I'd write and and do the editing, do the voiceover, take it to my friends and, and my trusted colleagues and say, Can you look at this and tell me what changes you'd make and then take their feedback and change my writing to fit the feedback. Mm-hmm. Um and I just kept doing that until I felt comfortable enough by my by myself to to start writing packages and writing stories full time mm-hmm. instead of just the the odd things that I found interesting. Um, yeah, it, it's it's hard for me to really talk about the perspective of how to start writing. I think the the best advice I could give is to just find something that you find interesting and talk to somebody who's knowledgeable in that area, mm-hmm. get their responses, and put them on paper and try to tell a story that fits their responses in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess it's kind of like what you do with podcasts. I, I'm sure I, – I don't know if you have to do closed captioning with podcasts, but I, I'm sure you have to go through all of this and, and mm-hmm. figure out how to tell your story based on the answers I'm giving you or the answers anybody is giving you You know, because it's, it's not always perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like sometimes you, you have to like mix and match and like piece together the story that you want to tell and you know, I can totally relate to what you're talking about. Um, I wanted to talk about your access to certain things. So you, you know, you said you want to, you found a group and you just want to tell a story about them. Some like a roadblock that I've encountered is that sometimes people won't respond to you or they won't, you know, they're just flat out say, no, it's, I don't want to do it. Um, do you feel like as, uh, like a journalist, like, I feel like podcaster is not as respected as maybe like a news anchor or a reporter, would you say that you have more access to certain things? It depends on the industry. When you're talking to corporations and, and to corporate figureheads, yes. Um, I think a lot of people downplay, you know, because I'm still I'm a millennial, so I understand that there is definitely a generational gap between who is still watching TV and who has transitioned to online media like um, podcasts and, and things like that. On the other hand, I think a lot of my my uh, my peer group and my generation group underestimate the power of local television and how many people are actually watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why journalists and, and anchors generally get more access 
um, they have built up relationships over. Well, I'll, I'll jump back a little bit. Most TV stations in the United States were founded probably 50 to 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why they still have radio call signs because they, they started when I, radio was still a big thing. Mm-hmm. If, if you've ever wondered why like some stations are called like WTXZ or something like that, mm-hmm. I that's not an actual station call sign. <laughs> but it's it goes back to the days of yeah. radios and the FCC requiring everything to have that sort of name. So um, – over 50 or 60 years, these news agencies have built up reputations in their communities and, and built this foundation of trust in their communities to tell stories. And that's yeah. why they get so much access to it. Whereas somebody who's um, doing a podcast yeah. doesn't have that kind of relationship with a lot of people yet. Um, you know, obviously, as your podcast gets bigger, it, it becomes easier to book guests and book clients and you'll find people who are passionate about what they're doing to talk to you. Uh, But yeah, I I think that's why that the, there's a difference in access. I still find as a journalist, it's easier to talk to corporations because they want to get their message out. When we get assigned the, the um, stories where we have to talk to just a random person out on the street, it's hard. Yeah. yeah, There's, there's very few people who actually want to go on TV and talk. I think mm-hmm. it might be uh, easier for for newspapers, um, although I don't know if they tell those. It, it might be easier for them because that person doesn't have their photo plastered or their you know video of their face plastered all over the television screen. It's just in the newspaper, and it's what they you know it, it's it's written down. So there's no stuttering, there's no ums, and mm-hmm. there yeah it, it can be intimidating for the random person to get access to them. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, sometimes somebody will pitch a story to us and it's this fantastic story and then we reach out to the person that the story is about and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about themselves. Yeah. And that can be hard to kind of get them on board with that. So, yeah, I find sometimes my access is easier and in other situations it's uh, very difficult to actually get access to a subject. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for my last question, I wanted to talk about um, the coronavirus outbreak. So how has it impacted your job? Yeah, so um, it's it's definitely interesting. I, if you look at just over the last month and a half or two months, the shift in news coverage from the, you know, what we were telling every day to the coronavirus being front and center has certainly been interesting. Um. We used to lead off our show with the weather, mm-hmm. because that was, you know, that was that was what everything was. Everybody was interested in most was what is the weather going to look like? You know, we have a rural audience, and yeah. it really affects their, you know, how they're planting their crops and planting and things like that. So the weather is really important for them. With this coronavirus outbreak, we have changed the way we we cover our news. It is now. You know, we lead off the show with a report of the numbers, the report of new cases, of new deaths, and and things like that. It, it's definitely changed the way we tell news. I think mm-hmm. um, almost every story has some sort of coronavirus angle to it, whether it's about golf or uh, it could be about you know a grocery store. Something. All the news directors right now across the nation are looking for 
that coronavirus angle because that is what is front and center in the national news. It is what is on everybody's mind while they're in quarantine and lockdown. And you know, I know the news media gets a lot of flack. Uh, the media in general gets a lot of flack for overhyping the coronavirus. Um, you know, journalists uh, all over the country have come under attack by people. You know, saying that we're just overhyping this. We're trying to get people to panic. And the way I have addressed that in the past, my friend, is that as journalists, you know, we are not trying to get you to panic. We are not trying to cause mass hysteria. We were, we seek out these stories, you know, you know, when the director of the CDC comes out and says, for example, that the second wave is going to be bigger than the first, we will go, because now we, we have somebody who's saying this is going to be bad, we'll go to local experts on the matter, and we'll ask them, well, what do you think? And if they tell us the same thing, then that's that's how we tell the story. We're talking to the experts on this. We're talking to the people who are very knowledgeable in this subject and getting their opinion in it. We're not. And that, that's why we're telling it this way. That's why we're saying the coronavirus is really as bad as you think it is. You need to be prepared for this, and you need to shelter in place. And we're not trying to get you to panic. We're just telling you what the experts are telling us. You know, I know, yeah, it's definitely interesting, the shift in, in the news coverage. I think the other interesting thing is the work habits we have now. Um, social distancing, you can see tons of posts on, on social media of reporters basically carrying giant mic stands around to, so that they can still get a recorded interview with somebody, but that they're standing seven feet away. Um, what, what else? Uh, in our station, um, no, a reporter can't ride with a photojournalist in the same car. They have to take two separate oh, wow. cars and meet up um, because we don't want to risk anybody passing along any sort of virus or infection uh if we can do a remote interview in terms of uh if we can do a virtual interview like over zoom or skype we always prefer to do that um rather than and going out and meeting a person mm -hmm. i know that's been a big shift and it's why um you'll, you'll see a number of social media posts of people making fun of of the framing in an interview or, you know, the, the quality. And it's not because the person operating the camera was bad or, uh, or, or anything like that. It's because we're forced to use a different medium than we've ever used before. You know, people that are doing a zoom interview at their houses don't have a 4k webcam or a 4k camera mm -hmm. that can, uh, film for TV. What they have is a webcam that's connected to their laptop, and that's the footage we have to use to tell our stories. Yeah. So that's that's another interesting change. I, mm -hmm. I think it's using any footage we can get. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. It, it's. Oh, that um, that actually brings up another another subject in the changes. Um, a while ago, I saw these posts on Facebook and and Twitter about people saying this coronavirus footage that they showed on CNN, saying that New York is the the epicenter well they look like the same hospitals that were in italy why is that to answer that question for everybody um a, a lot of news stations cannot get access to hospitals right now so when freelance journalists submit their footage to cnn and fox we have to pull from that that national stockpile if that makes sense to be able to actually have visuals for our story 
So sometimes, yeah, the same footage from an Italian hospital will end up as a New York hospital, for example. And that's another change that we're having to deal with in the industry is relying on a lot of either freelance um, photojournalists to provide videos and social media videos um, or just national archive videos that we come across from our from our partners in the national news. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so obviously it's a big change. It's really different how you've been conducting day-to-day -day activities, and I thought that was that was really interesting, so... Thank you so much. I don't think it's as major of a change as anybody or as like, for example, like EMS workers are having to go through where they're having to wear all this protective equipment. Um, but it's definitely different than what I expected or, or what I, you know, what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, talking about what it's like being uh, a journalist, reporter, photojournalist. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, we talked about what it's like when you first begin and what are some great resources to start and also you know what it's like making your way up the totem pole to get to where you are and ultimately uh, how to tell stories because that's mainly what the job consists of and I can tell you're super passionate about telling stories yeah. whether you know whatever type of media it's in so thanks so much for coming on I really appreciate it yeah thank you so much for having me Thanks for listening to the Major Jobs Podcast. If you liked it, please be sure to follow us on Instagram at Major Jobs Podcast. If you have an interesting career and want to be featured on the show, send us an email at majorjobspodcast at gmail.com with your job title and college major if applicable. Again, thanks for listening. And remember, life happens wherever you are, whether you make it or not.